Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. When I come to this country, I've really had so much anger in me and I didn't even know why. I was brought to Belfast as a young child, six months old, by my mother. I was left there. I had to survive myself, really. You know, I didn't really have anyone around me as such. It starts as the street gangs. You know, there was a lot of violence. You know, I mean, I had access to and I was around firearms and all this stuff, you know, at age 15, 16. I went to prison first when I was 14 years of age. Of course, you get to meet the other serious criminals of the day from different parts of London. Hello, you are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me as we get to know our guest. Stephen Gillen was once a Category A inmate, housed with some of the most dangerous men in the country. He was sentenced to 17 years in prison at the age of 22 for offences he committed during his time spent as a member of a brutal organised crime gang in London. He is here today to share his story of what life was like growing up surrounded by crime and conflict and how he works now to inspire and educate others through his own journey of reform. Stephen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really good, Daisy. Wonderful to be here with you. We're very, very happy. We're very happy to have you. What's life like for you at the moment? Life is extremely busy for me at the moment. You know, I have my businesses, of course. I have a a media business, Raw Media Creative, but I do a lot of other things. And I've got a UK tour coming up with the first day on 2nd of September in Kingston, London. So that's keeping me quite busy as well as the family stuff I have to deal with. And what is this tour about? What are you going to be doing? Well, it's called Ready to Talk. And it's actually, I've kept a lot of the exclusive content back, you know, on my on my journey for, yeah. for many reasons. So there's a lot of exclusive stuff in there. But there's a lot of transformational, inspirational stuff in there of all the trainings I've been doing with many people around the world in, in the Resilience Code, which is about improving lives. You know, there are, many people out there who who need some support and who have kind of been through a lot of the things that I have Daisy. I always hate to say this to people it's a nice thing for me to say but I know it's really awkward to receive but I think you you are a hugely inspirational guy I will say um and I think you are incredibly resilient and I think it it takes a lot it takes a certain type of person to really take a step back and look over their life and want to make a change and I know that is a big big part of your story and that is what I want to touch on today I wonder if before that sort of 
reformation, we could go back to the beginning, Stephen, and talk about what life was like really for you growing up as a kid. You have to understand, Daisy, I was brought to Belfast as a young child, six months old, by my mother. I was left there, early 70s, you know, when the, when the war there was really, really hitting it. And I was left there until I was age, age nine. So, you know, I was exposed to a lot of violence over there, as you can imagine. That was my formative years, how I grew mm. up. And then when my surrogate mother died when I was nine of cancer, I was the little little child on the boat with the case, you know, coming to an alien, uh, an alien place, which was which was to be London. And it kind of went downhill from there, really, even more so. When did things really take a turn for you? What? How old were you? Well, I was nine then and I kind of come back. And of course, you know, I didn't know my mother. I didn't know my family. And, uh, you know, I'd come from that crazy, crazy war zone. And so although London was a fast place, you know, there wasn't grill of war on street corners every night there, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a crazy kind of contrast. Of course, I was different. I... You know, I had to fit in. You know, I got on my fair fair share of fights, as you do. I had to survive myself, really. You know, I didn't really have anyone around me as such. And um, I ended up going through a succession of foster homes and really, really brutal children's homes, and which, you know, which got me into uh, petty crime and uh, very quickly into very, very high-level, serious, organised crime, Daisy. I've spoken to quite a few people on this podcast and just in other areas of my work in general general that have been involved in you know organized crime or been groomed into terrorism and and it seems that there's always this common theme of pulling people in when they're at their lowest when they're vulnerable when they don't have family or friends or a network of people around them did you feel like that was the case do you feel like you were a target of that I mean, I did, and I was definitely groomed. But the difference, I think, with me, Daisy, was, you know, and of course, you have to own this stuff. When I come to this country, I really had so much anger in me, and I didn't even mm-hmm. know why, you know. And, you know, there was a real impetus of that that drove me. I, uh, looking back, it was part survival. But of course, you know, I had them abandonment issues. I'd seen terrible things as a child. I'd seen people murdered in front of me and all all kinds of things, right, you know, too often. And then, of course, the closest person to me, my surrogate mother, she was taken away from me. So these things, they, you know, they shaped me earlier on. How does that grooming process work, Stephen? What what are the sort of things that you are being told when you're sort of, I guess, trying to be pulled in to affiliate with a certain group? You know, I was very game in them days. In a sense, mm-hmm. I would do crazy things that even crazy people wouldn't do. I was certainly like that. It was kind of a defence survival mechanism. Even that, Daisy, it was always I would do more and be more and, you know, that kind of thing. But... You know, I formed myself and my personality and my reputation in that way. So so I stuck out to the older ones, you know, the older ones who was a lot more advanced, who was really entrenched. And they saw me, you know, I was susceptible, obviously, to all the things that they wanted to do to shape me to the next level. And, you know, of course, you know, in a, in a funny kind of a way, they would have seen themselves in me as 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 something to be molded for bigger things if that makes sense and what actually was going on in this sort of criminal underworld that you found yourself a part of it starts as the street gangs and all this kind of stuff you know there was a lot of violence you know i mean i had access to and i was around firearms and all this stuff you know at age 
15, 16. Unfortunately, I went to prison first when I was 14 years of age. I was just a mm-hmm. child. But even then, looking back, I was well well ahead of my years, you know, and that kind of resilient, really kind of brutal way that uh, life, had, life had already forged me, which wasn't a good thing, you know, because I really, I really pushed a burning trail of so much, you know, um, you know, in my life, even in a death wish kind of kind of way you know I know you got sentenced was it to 17 years Stephen in your early 20s yeah I mean I I I was migrated and kind of groomed into serious organized crime the people I had around me and you know I had some family members who was what we would call faces back in the day you know and just through the people that I knew you know and the people who I was around you know I was around all the you know all the big names of the day all the really serious serious criminals of the day and through there of course you get to meet the other serious criminals of the day from different parts of London and you know, and then Europe, and you know, this is the way it it, uh, it migrates. It's very uh, clicky by the nature of the of the secrecy of the life itself. So, if mm-hmm. you're seen as a capable person, as I was, even a bit crazy, then of course this is seen as an asset. This is seen as an asset in many ways. You know, it was more the heavy kind of crime, armed robbery, like the firearms, all this kind of stuff. You know, the racketeering stuff, but in the UK way, you know, you can't fit. Of course, there was uh, drugs after, extortion, you know, this kind of stuff. So I ended up um, having having three trials at the Old Bailey. I beat the first one. I beat the second one, but I got found uh, of conspiracy to rob at the old bailey but i got i got a uh, possession of a firearm a guilty you know i got out again but then i was arrested on a red eye after after a lengthy um flying squad operation you know there was uh shots fired when we was arrested i ended up i got 17 years for that and that was the, that was the end of it daisy yeah what goes through your head i mean i'm i'm still in maybe not my early 20s anymore as much as i'd i'd like to think i'm getting towards the top end now but i can't imagine what would go through my mind being so young and being given such a a long sentence do you remember what went through your head at the time Oh, yeah. I mean, the truth is when you're living that life, it's a very serious life. It's this cat and mouse game with the police, of course. You know, everyone thinks that they're never going to be arrested. They're cleverer than the than the police. I, I used to always say, look, you know, there's one firm here and it's the biggest and it's called the Metropolitan Police. You know, and at the end of the day, let's be honest, we have to be lucky all the time. They only need to be lucky once. You know, mm-hmm. that was the reality of it. But you're pulled into this life. It really, um, it really beguiles you in many ways. But it also forges you with the trauma of how you have to be and how you have to live and how you have to keep keep moving. Because the police is one thing, but you know the other enemies or other people or other gangs or other people you're falling out with, or other or other uh, criminal figures you may be falling out with. This this can be much worse because it's who catches who first, and you know it's very serious stuff. It's very mm-hmm. serious stuff. What was life like in the high security unit that you were placed in? It was desperate, Daisy. Really, you know, I it was really desperate. You know, you're like the Walking Dead in there. And what people don't really understand is. 
you know, to have everything taken from you. Of course, you have to be accountable for your actions, but to have everything taken from you, even hope, even future, absolutely everything, love, affection, all of this stuff, and to go through this one door into a completely different, brutal universe like that mm. is you know, it's really uh, something for the human soul and the human condition. I mean, I, you know, I must have done about five years solitary confinement on that sentence as well. Yeah, and it really, you know, it's really desperate. It's really desperate. It really pulls, you know, pushes a human being beyond what they thought would even be possible in in mental, physical, emotional, even spiritual torture. I know you've spoken about this before and I found this so interesting. You were saying you're in a detention centre at 14 and you said that going inside there, you it almost exposed you to an even darker world because you were around other dangerous and desperate people that you weren't aware of before. And I guess it, in some ways for some people, it can almost be a breeding ground for darker and, and worse crimes. It absolutely is. And I mean, I've always said it. Uh, prison is a university of crime, Daisy. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got people, of course, it's like any vocation, if you want to put it like that. There are people mm-hmm. at different levels of experience and expertise. So when everyone is thrown into the, to the cooking pot of that, they have to act as if to survive. So yeah. it's it's not it's not a natural natural environment, you know. It's very very dangerous, and it, it brings out the worst in people. It really does. And I guess this is the moment where you sort of sit and you decide whether you want to find yourself getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this, or whether you want to pull yourself out. Was there a specific moment you can think back on that pushed you to make a change in your life? There were many epiphanies, Daisy. People always ask this question. What the line in the sand Mm. but the truth is when you're so forged for a life like that all your associations your family you know you're on that trajectory and that's all you know it's very damaging and detrimental but in a sense you become so blinkered you don't know anything else you know there's some real traps there that where the darkness pulls people deeper into more darkness, right, you know, on a journey like that. You know, I saw through that life, you know, for a long time, Daisy. I'd known people, you know, 20 years, right, you know, but they'd set me up to get me killed, you know, not, you know, not because they wanted to set me up to get me killed or they, or they, you know, they even thought any less of me. But you're expendable, you know, and if things turn against you, it's it's they turn against you, right? It's a strategy, you know, more than anything. And, you know, when you're living a life, you know, at that level, and this is the kind of kind of seriousness of, of, of involvement you have, then, you know, it can come at any time, you know, and there are no, there are no good endings to a life like that. Continuing the conversation on Proverbs after this short break. Now, if you know me, you will know I am not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. For me, the pressure of starting something new in January has seen me fail over and over again. What I like to do instead is I like to give myself a little bit of time to settle into the year so I can actually figure out what goals I actually want to achieve. Now, one of my biggest goals this year is to be able to confidently speak in a new language. And this is something that I have been trialing and failing at and also working at for a really, really long time. 
Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think about what you're wanting to achieve. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? Now, if you are like me, and one of your goals is to learn a new language, you absolutely need to get Babbel. And I'm so excited to chat to you about this. Now, in just a few weeks of using Babbel, I have progressed my language skills in ways that I have never done before. And I've been using Babbel's 10-minute lessons, which are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. What I love the most about Babbel is that it's designed by real people for real conversations. And I think this is something where I've gone wrong before. I have been learning French on and off since I was nine years old. That is over a decade and a half now. Yet I still didn't feel confident in my communication. I was learning through textbooks, but I was actually lacking that human connection in my vocabulary. Babbel's courses have helped me to learn real life conversation skills, to speak confidently and clearly in a way that locals will understand as Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent too. It's enabled me to be able to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants, all without ever having to consult my language at whilst on vacation. Now, studies from Yale, Michigan State University and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, I actually have a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off of your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com forward slash proverbs. Now, you can get 60% off at babbel.com slash proverbs, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash proverbs. Rules and restrictions may apply. It's one thing to, you know, distance yourself from the environment itself, but I can imagine those mental health impacts and troubles and traumas, they're a lot harder to work through and they're a lot harder to shift. How did you rehabilitate in that way? Because not only are you dealing with the trauma of the environment that you were in, you're also dealing with childhood trauma and you're almost relearning feelings and you're relearning attitudes about life in general. Where do you where do you start? You see, this is the quagmire, the dilemma for so many unfortunate people, you know, in prison or trying to trying to change their life. And I see this all the time, Daisy, because we have to unlearn, really, before we can, you know, mm-hmm. relearn, rewire, you know, the neutrons and all this stuff, lifestyle, people, places, things. And it's it's tough because it's uncomfortable, you know, and, you know, as human beings, we're very good at going back to the comfortable, even if it is learned trauma, right? You know, mm-hmm. this is the truth of it. So, you know, it's a real cycle. It's very, very difficult. I mean, for me, you know, I, of course, I carried all that trauma, all that, uh, all that violence that I had from the early years, but then you're faced with, you have to survive with the immediate, 
you know, and if you're someone who's really, you know, played that game, you know, as hard and as high as you can and, you know, you've got a reputation and everything else, that brings other challenges with it because you really are stuck with that. You can't get out of that apart from going forward, you know, and you're a target as well, but, you know, you have to survive. I mean, for me, you know, I really went through that sentence very, very hard, you know, and I'll tell you the reason why was, you know, I'd lost absolutely everything. But the truth was, I wasn't good at being locked up or doing prison. You know, now mm. I'd done 12 years, you know, as a category A inmate, I was even released as a category A inmate as well, which is very, very rare. Mm. So there was no let up, it was, you know, always at that level. And my way was, you know, yes, I played up in there. But you know, I was really tortured in many ways, like I said in there, because for them, they have to maintain control and security, Daisy, above yeah. all and everything, right? So when that was reflected to me, I mean, you're talking about the basis human, darkest place a human being can really go to and keep going, going to these places. But that last little piece of me, I wouldn't give them. And I have to be honest, you know, I see them break people much bigger and stronger than me, Daisy, every day of the week. You know, that's the truth. But there was just something in me that dug my heels in. And that last piece of me, I wouldn't give up, you know. And no matter what they've done, it made me more angry. It made me more entrenched. But it got so bad until the time, you know, I can remember I was in a unit in Woodhill which was for, you know, the most dangerous prisoners in the country at the time. You had people like Charlie, Charlie Bronson there and, you know, many other many other names of the day. But I had two years left to go, Daisy. And, you know, I remember it was 2000, Millennium Night, and I actually got down in my cell while everyone else was probably partying around the world, of course, and I got down on my knees and I just, I, you know, I made a prayer and I said, God, you know, I hope for better things and I must change my life. And, you know, and I knew then that I had become so damaged emotionally and everything else with all of it that I really needed to change myself for me or I wouldn't have any chance of a future, Daisy. Have you found there are any subtle behaviours that have stuck with you from the time that you spent in prison or your previous life of crime? Any positives or any things that you feel like have shaped you in a positive way? Look, there's a lot of positives, I have to say. I mean, today I'm a CEO and... You know, you need to be a leader in many ways. And yeah, all the practical skills, but really anyone will tell you it's not for the faint hearted. But yeah. really, when you look at what I have to do now and what I went through, you know, it's nothing in comparison. You know, it's just nothing, is it? But what it really, um, what it really gave me, it really sharpened my, you know, ability, which I had before anyway, to really understand the human condition and mm -hmm. really read people. And really understand, you know, what's going on with human beings and what they're up to, Daisy, you know, yeah. where they're weak, where they're strong, where they need to be managed, where I would need to, you know, protect myself from them. It gives you a real, a real deeper, deeper level of, of, of insight, which is a, a real gift. Sometimes you see so much you don't want to see it with some people, even with family. Mm -hmm. But of mm -hmm. course, you can't help to see it. But it translates as a gift. Are there things for people to look out for if they're, you know, if their friend or their family member they believe are being groomed into some sort of organized crime? Are there are there signs to look out for? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there are so, so many bad kind of positions to be in now. There's so many traps, you know. I mean, we grew up in a city, Daisy, so we know. You know, you come yeah. outside your door, there's so much. I mean, you know, the worst of it these days, of course, is drugs, right? You know, it's everywhere. Mm. And peer pressure is another one. You know, you have to be cool. Or, you know, in East London, you know, we do so much work to try and look after, you know, a lot of the children there. Because um, some children, they're even scared to walk to college because they have to walk mm-hmm. through uh, certain areas and stuff like yeah. that. There's gangs, right? You know, this is a reality of of life for people in London, you know, or in a city. Yeah. So, you know, what you're really getting is, is, you know, a lot of kids who are disempowered in many ways because of the poverty, the lack of opportunity, the lack of really elevated role models and all of this stuff. And, but they're still, you know, they've still got a lot of, goodness in them you know they're still being shaped so there's real signs when you see you know behavioral and personality changes with these younger kind of teenage children who are kind of migrating because they're susceptible at that time Daisy, because they're trying to find their own selves anyway and this Mm -hmm. is the time where they're really susceptible obviously so, you know, if people see their children really, really changing when you've got like, you know, someone who was a nice kid to now really has a really, really bad attitude, all his timings are different. You know, he's 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 hanging around with, you know, strange people. His behaviours are different. These are big signs that all is not well with with. Mm what's going on outside in these wider uh, wider circles, wider groups of, of people. Stephen, do you think the system that we have set up to deal with people in organised crime is working right now? I think it's better, Daisy, you know, just by the fact that if you look at technology now, it's a no-brainer. Back in the day, there was some really high-tech with, with the flying squad, for instance, or, you know, back and forth with us and what we was doing with bugging directional mics, trackers, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, nowadays, you know, surveillance, they don't even need to put teams on you. They can, Mm -hmm. you know, they can watch you from the sky or, you know, they could watch with all the cameras in London. They can, you know, they can watch people go for miles, you know, without even having anyone around them, right? You know, and uh, there's a, it's very, it's very hard now to be involved in crime thankfully you know this is a this is a good thing but of course with criminals daisy it's always it's always the same thing with the crime thing is you know the police get clever you know other people um you know involved in crime they get cleverer and then the police have to get cleverer again and there's this development like that that always goes forward you know do you think that support is there Stephen? do you think that you know, people that do get wrapped up in things, the support and the rehabilitation resources are there to help them turn their life around like you did and have some sort of future? No, I don't. I'd have to say, sadly, that I don't. I mean, there are, of course, there are good people and groups that try and intervene at certain, in certain points. But, you know, they're kind of powerless in many ways by the way it's all set up for for people, especially, you know, in inner cities. And, um, you know, there's not enough opportunity. There's not enough money really put into certain certain places, you know, to help people. Because it's not about, oh, you know, we're going to put some money into this place and do something and it's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And then they just do. It's like a paper exercise or a political exercise. You know, there's no consistency, Daisy. Yeah. And it's all set up wrong because 
you know, I mean, I've got some wonderful friends in East London. Uh, Jack Ramadan is one. I interviewed him a little while ago. Um, you know, he's got a wonderful, a wonderful charity there, you know, in Bow, Factory East, for instance, which was really in the middle of all the, of all the gang culture. Now, you know, I remember even back in the day, there was people being murdered either side of the street. But in there, in that place, with everything that was going on, everyone was cool, you know, and the police couldn't understand why that is. One of the reasons was is because of the authority of people who had grown up and the younger ones would listen to them. You know, the younger ones would listen to them. It's very hard mm -hmm. for them to listen to people who don't speak the same language. Do you know sure. what I'm saying? Because they, sure. you know, that messaging, it doesn't go in. It doesn't hit in the right way, you know, because it, it, it's, it, it's, it's not authentic enough. It doesn't have that experience and wisdom. It doesn't have that cutting edge that they need as well to be knocked into shape a little bit. You know, you need to you need to have them street uh, skills and experience and reputation, mm -hmm. but you need the consistency. And what you need is is the whole community to lean in together. It's like they say, Daisy, um, you know, it takes a village to bring up a child. Stephen, at the end of most episodes, I get to ask the question, what our guests think the meaning of life is or what oh, gets you up and going in the morning. What is yours? I'm fascinated to know. Oh, do you know, that's, that's, a, that's, <laughs> a great, that's a great question. Someone asked me it before in a business way when I was on a meeting, and I said, that's very simple, to get away from the past. But of course, it's so much more than that. It's, you know, I've, I love the development as a human being to keep mm. going, to keep being more, to keep learning more, to being open to learn, to keep mm. achieving more, right, is a, is, a, is a wonderful privilege and gift because this then translates in, you know, into the good stuff for everyone around mm. me, including myself. But, you know, it's really, you know, improving, um, you know, so many people's uh, lives around the world daisy because look i have to say and i always say this because people assume but i always say look you know i'm not important <laughs> of course i'm not you know why why would i be but i've you know i've realized as a conduit you know and as a human being that 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 the work that i can do you know the tangible uh, giving that i can do to improve people's lives that in itself is is a legacy and i think you know and that will outlast me you know the work will outlast me as it does for all of us that is something that's tangible and a lot more worth you know anything or any importance that people may think that I have. I don't think like that. If that makes sense. The past is a funny thing. This is what I'm. I'm realizing now. I'm. I'm 25. I'm 26 in October. Wow. It's just starting. <laughs> I'm getting on a bit now. But I'm yeah. realizing this year, sort of more than ever. That obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in you learn so much from the past and as much as you don't want to dwell on it, keep an eye on it because it's really nice to see that progression. It's nice to track that progression um, that you go through as a, as a human through different stages of life. But I'm also realizing that we go we do go through so many different phases and we have so many different identities. And there's something so beautiful in sort of looking back and seeing how far you've come and and how much you've changed. And we obviously have a responsibility to change in a positive way. And I think that's that's something that you've absolutely done. And it must be really, really, really inspiring, but 
really fulfilling to be able to look at yourself now and think back or put yourself back into the seven-year-old version of you or the 14-year-old version of you or that 22-year-old that just got sentenced to see how far you've come in just one lifetime. I find that so incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's important to learn. Uh, I do a lot of rituals, Daisy, which mm. which are built up, you know, that, which work for me and um, they're important. But to condense it, it's really important to understand that, you know, we can live in in pain or suffering or we can live in joy and inspiration. It really is as easy as that. Now, mm-hmm. you know, the internal engineering of that and how we're set up is something else or how we how how we have to navigate that. And, you know, it's such a shame that, you know, for many people when they, you know, human beings, when we think about the infinite field of possibilities that are always there, that we can be conditioned sometimes Mm -hmm. to pick the worst possible scenario, Mm -hmm. you know, and sit with that, right? You know, but it's about having the awareness of this, that we are infinite, infinite possibility, you know, and we have the choice, you know, and there is a, it is up to us because these many choices amount to something, you know, Daisy, you know, yeah, you know, and this is important. It's very important to keep it simple, uh, Daisy, sometimes as well, because life is tough, you know, and we have to navigate some, some tough uh, stuff, but we can condition ourselves the other way, no matter how hard it is, to quickly get into better and brighter things. You know, it, it's very important to say that. I mean, I've certainly learned that, you know, and it's certainly I'm living proof of that, you know, and it's a great privilege to be able to reflect that out to many other people who I know are on their own journey, which is quite tough for them. I know you've had a couple of books out in the past, but you've got a new one coming out soon, right? Talk to me a little bit about what we can expect. Two books, of course, I've got The Monkey Puzzle Tree, which is going to be a film I've got in Justice, Love and Honour, which was a wonderful book too, I'm very proud of. Mm. But the new one that's coming out is The Nine Laws of Transformation. And this is a book I've been waiting to write all my life, and it's kind of a, a book where I had to be at a certain place of experience you know and and expertise to be able to write that you know I'm definitely there now um with that and it really condenses you know everything in my life which is really quite innovative I mean I've overcome everything Daisy from addiction to mental health Mm-hmm. Um, you know, behavioral problems, you know, the whole bit, you know, the violence, it's it's all in there, right? So it's possible, you know, and there's some really, really key learnings in there. Of course, I've got the resilience code, mm-hmm. you know, um, where I train, you know, I'm privileged to train so many wonderful people on there, on my platform, on my personal brand. And I have to tell you, they are really making so much difference in their lives there's so many stories i could give you where they're really rapidly um taking their empowerment now where they was disempowered so this is a real you know a real privilege for me um Mm -hmm. to to really put the work into this book and uh, and get it out i can imagine it's a it is such a form of therapy as well and it's touch points where you know sometimes you you think you've healed from something and then something can come out of the blue and trigger something that's deep rooted in your mind. I can imagine that writing, the process of writing a book and bringing your experience to paper is, is quite a cathartic experience to go through as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the things that I was really blessed with, uh, Daisy, to be honest with you innately, was, you know, I could write and I could speak. That was it, you mm-hmm. know, you know, gift of the gab, if you want to call it that, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Seriously, right? You know, that was it. The rest, of course, I've learned as we do. But so I had that kind of skills. I started writing, of course, when I was when I was in solitary confinement all them mm-hmm. years ago. That was my uh, escapism, right? Yeah. I could be anywhere with that. So many, many years later, it's um, you know I enjoy writing, and um, uh, it's good to be able to be skilled enough at that medium, you know, to have the opportunity to keep changing so many lives out there that that. They are being changed, uh, thankfully. Mm. Oh, Stephen, I've loved having you on this episode. Thank you so much for being here and chatting to us. I feel like everyone, no matter their life experience, can take something away from your story and your resilience. Um, I think you're a really, really incredible guy, and I'm very excited for this new book. I'm definitely going to grab myself a copy, and I wish you all the best of luck on your tour in September as well. Oh, thanks, Daisy. And that concludes this episode of Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. That is me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and I will see you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.